there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right. Welcome to World Cancer is a Drug Deficiency Day on the uh, Robert Scabell Show, Advanced Medicine Version. And I think that Dr. Raja Vittar will disabuse us uh, of that concept in a hurry. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Vittar. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Robert. How about you? I'm great, but we've been dealing with a lot of propaganda ratcheting up on the vaccine front. And I know we talk about that every week, and I don't mean that we can't today because there is a relationship, I believe, between childhood vaccines and in adult vaccines and cancer manifestation. So we might be able to pepper it in. But to have today be an auspicious World Cancer Day, I think we could put perspective on it that they won't get anywhere else in the mainstream media or much of talk radio either. I, I agree with you, and I, I don't think we could ever, on a side note, talk too much about the vaccination issue because, obviously, if the rate of autism is still increasing and the rate of people being injured from vaccinations, influenza vaccine, flu vaccine, whatever, is increasing, and the more discussion there is and the numbers are still increasing, that means that something uh, is still wrong, which means that we still need to talk about it. Indeed, indeed. And of course, if we look at this World Cancer Day and we look at the link that it takes us to, uh, the About Us page of World Cancer Day, and then we go to their partners, I just want you to see the partners. The number one vaccinating organization on planet Earth, quasi-governmental group called the CDC. Uh, You also have uh, the NIH, you have Pfizer and Roche. Uh, We mentioned Amgen, Merck, Johnson & Johnson, Novartis, Roche, Pfizer again. I mean, this is a who's who in the list of let's vaccinate you, let's get you um, cancer therapies that include, of course, chemotherapy, which is not very therapeutic. I call it chemotoxicity, radiation, and, of course, cut it out when all else fails. And there may be a role, as we've argued, for uh, surgery interventions when necessary. But by and large, everything else is a disaster, and it's very profitable. So World Cancer Day is about promoting cancer, not indeed preventing it or reversing it. Yeah, I think that that has been the agenda, and it's continuing the same. It's continuing the same path. But what's interesting is, recently, as recently as in the last two weeks, just coming up with the schedule for the Advanced Medicine Conference and talking about the subject, which is the theme, which is going to be evolution of man and medicine. And looking at the perspective, I was talking to Ty about the historical perspective. Looking at the perspective that the pharmaceutical industry has actually played in helping shift or change or misdirect the educational process, all the way from simple things such as, say, homeopathy that was used around the Civil War time, which is a primary means of therapy, um, primary means of treating people, to now being considered you know, something that, oh, it's a tertiary thing at best and it's not serious uh, therapy, or the use of... Um, Hemp, for example, which was considered by our forefathers to be the leading, uh, the, the gift from the gods and, and the leading gift for the people that were coming to the New World from, from England, that, you know, during the pilgrim time from uh, that whole that whole movement of leaving the the UK or the, the 
England at that time and coming to the New World, the forefathers considered hemp to be the gift from the Creator and how it was demonized only, and I have no idea, by the way, before anybody thinks that I smoke marijuana, I've never smoked marijuana, I've never even taken, I've never tried any of that stuff, but I used to think... Hey, we're going to be in California together. We can change that, Dr. Batar. That's right, that's right. (laughs) I thought that was still a bad thing, Robert, until Mm. I talked about, in his lecture, Advanced Medicine Conference lecture, what, seven years ago, about how the history uh, dictates that the truth was all about the paper industry. It had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with um, the actual negative aspects of, of marijuana. It was all to do with basically political gain, monetary influence, and, and that's what it was. So all these different things, we seem to think like when these organizations are advertising for the cancer, you know, cancer Day, they have their own agenda. There's a, there's a propaganda message behind it, and we have to open our eyes to look beyond the initial thing that we see on the screen or on our TVs or whatever the case may be and understand what the agenda is, what, what the hidden agenda is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and look at this concept that we've been promoting ever since we discovered it for ourselves. We're not the first to discover it in, in, in total, but for ourselves, that, my gosh, it matters what we eat and the quality of what we eat, how much we eat, when we eat, uh, how about hydration, all the things that are basic to life itself, providing the body and its metabolism, all the cells, the microbiome, Everything it needs to be healthy, and it knows what to do. As we said, the Creator gave us the the most intelligent machine that there ever was. Now, it doesn't exist without us. That's the vital force, the spiritual essence that is us that inhabits the body. Uh, And yet, we are, you know, also treated as if we can be altered chemistry. And by altering chemistry instantly, we can we can correct you. And of course, the chemistry they're talking about is not derived by a eating food and drinking water, as it's been done since there's been humans and animals on the planet, but by synthesizing substances that will forcefully stop things from happening or forcefully make things happen. And, of course, unintended or intended consequences, depending on your point of view here, creates the diseases, the very diseases they claim to want to prevent or treat and reverse. Yeah, that's that's the... That's the modus operandi, right? It's the distraction and misdirection from the real, from their real agenda, from the real goal. And I think that as individuals with our own independent brains that God gave us, we have to start using our brains. A lot of times we end up relying on other people to do our thinking for us. And I think that has been one of the reasons that we are in the state that we are today because we rely too much on something that our forefathers warned us about, right? The keep government small, uh, keep government, uh, what was that old quote? The quote is, uh, the people, the government should be afraid of the people. The the people should be... When the people are, well, well, when the people are afraid of the government... There's tyranny when the government is afraid of the people. There is liberty. And, and you know, of course, uh, uh, a government that governs least governs best. These are concepts, again, limiting the power of a centralized bureaucracy that is tending to um, not have any accountability. And, of course, psychological ex- experiments have been done in the 20th century that when you absolve or remove consequence from action, that people are willing to do horrible despicable and evil things when they are where they perceive that there is no uh a re- recourse or there's no consequence we've talked about it with the vaccine industry what insight uh, what incentive do they have to produce even if it were possible a safer vaccine or even a vaccine that works there's none 
because their products are basically mandated and they have no liability when they don't work or if they injure or kill. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah, this is a, a very, very good point because if you, it's like the immigration issue, right? Um, I'm first generation immig- an immigrant, right? My parent, I was, well, I think I was, uh, we were eight, I was eight years old when we moved to the United States. So I'm considered first generation. And people talk about all this stuff with the, the Trump administration. I know we're not talking about this, but about the immigration issue. Well, what is the incentive mm-hmm. for somebody to come through the, le- the legal way of immigrating to the United States when you reward those that are coming in illegally, what's the, what's the reason for the people to do it legally then? So my point is, you know, it's not that somebody's trying to be harsh, but there are rules that are set in place to protect everyone. And if you don't follow those rules and you open up and allow anyone to come in, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with letting anybody come in yet. What I'm saying is that to, to bypass the rules that have been set up, you're taking away the incentive for those people that are doing it the right way. Why even have a right way? Then just open up the borders and let everybody come in. So you have to have some way of being able to regulate. It's kind of like when you set up, you know, when you stand in line to get order your uh, hamburger from McDonald's, right? And everybody doesn't come crashing in. There's a normal line. It's a normal thing. You set up a process to make everything efficient and safe. And so this is this is no different than what we're talking about here. I hope you get my analogy, Robert. Did you get my analogy? Or did I just? Uh, Let's check with Super Don for independent verification. Is Dr. Batar, yes, he's making sense. Of course he is. The concept of, of, you know, when you are, again, I'd say we're rugged individualists, and some people say, well, you're mean for that. No, no. I mean, ultimately, you come into this world as an individual, you leave as an individual. And I talked last hour uh, of the absurdity of seeing racism everywhere. Uh, in fact, the, you know, the idea that they're calling Mary Poppins racist or Senator Richard Dickey Pan in California is saying it's white privilege. All these medical or, or, or exemptions to vaccination is white privilege. I'm like, what about all the African-American males with autism? What about all the Asian children with autism? This is not a racial issue. I mean, they're targeting everybody. But if they say, well, you're a member of a group, therefore you have a privilege. No, no, everybody is an individual, no matter what membership you claim to have or not have. And that's the dangerous thing, because when you start to relegate people to groups, you can dehumanize them as groups. We've seen it during World War II and throughout history. You can pick any group, and they're trying to demonize and ostracize those of us who have have become awake and recognize there is no valid science to support the use of vaccines, one or multiple of them. There have been no peer-reviewed studies that have been double-blind, placebo-controlled for one or all of them. And so you wake up, you go, all we got to attack those people is that uh, they're dangerous to us. I mean, this is appealing to emotion, the lowest common denominator. And doctors are playing along like Richard Pan in the uh, Senate in uh, California. Yeah, this is something very interesting because our third video in the Autism Truth video series, which actually just finished outlining all of them. There's going to be actually 11 of them. These are all videos anywhere from four to 10 minutes long. The next one that's coming out, I'm talking about the FDA and the FTC and the political implications with what happened with Congressman Dan Burton's uh, testimony uh, that he held, or the, the congressional hearing that he held when the FDA and the FTC testified. And I've actually got footage, which we're going to, we're going to release. And the footage is basically Dan Burton calling out the FDA for, for what they've done. And that's back in 2002, Robert. So we're talking 17-year-old information. And he, surgical, with surgical precision, dismembers the argument that the FDA gives him. So it's, it's really, really going to be a cool video. But I think that what you've just said is something that this is the reason that I enjoy getting on the radio with you every week and have now for over nine years, because 
it's the only place that I've seen where we're talking about the political nature of medicine. Very few places we, do we talk about political nature of medicine. When I say we, I mean as a medical community. Sure. I appreciate that we are able to do this every week. Well, and you know, that is a key part of this show from the beginning, and that's why it's hard to pigeonhole us, and it's impossible, I think, into what, what kind of show are you, right? Obviously, we're fundamentally about health and healing, but individual liberty, and we talk about the health uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, economically, even, and yes, even political, and they laugh, political healing. No, that's a real thing. It happens here on Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashi Bittar. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, it's World uh, Big Pharma Causes Cancer Day. It's kind of like, you know, every year December 1st is... World HIV Fraud Day, we call it. AIDS Day, they call it. But, um, you know, every year, Big Pharma has to trot out another, you know, focus of attention and raise money and, of course, um, create illusions so that the masses keep coming back for more of their garbage that they're selling or injecting or poisoning you with, again, namely these drugs and, and the vaccines. And now, the millennials are interesting. Now, your, your kids... I think Dr. Batar old enough to be considered millennial and post-millennial, because my kids are all post-millennial, so Generation Z. Uh, and it's, it's a mix. I mean, there are some that are all on full-on socialist, and there are some that are very suspicious of modern medicine. But apparently in this article on CNN, which, of course, makes it immediately accurate, no, or questionable, <laughs> they talk about cancers fueled by obesity are on the rise among young adults in the United States, among millennials. And this is uh, published in the Lancet Public Health, examining data on 12 obesity-related cancers between 1995 and 2014, as well as 18 common cancers not associated with weight. Now, uh, I, I find this interesting because, of course, what happened in the early 90s? The vaccine schedule greatly expanded after they got no, you know, liability was removed, and they started throwing these kids like they were dartboards with the needles of vaccination. And now they're seeing increasing cancers and obesity. I think they're related once again, and that's not brought up in this discussion. I think it's very related because one component, which pretty much anybody that has ever looked at non-conventional means of addressing any chronic pathology knows that the adipose tissue, the fat tissue, holds on to a lot of toxins. And one of the things that we talk about in the seven toxicity philosophy, Robert, as you very well know, the second toxicity, which is persistent organic pollutants, we call them persistent organic pollutants because they persist in the body. The body has a hard time eliminating them. But the vector that they live in is fat. So when a person starts to lose a lot of body fat, for example, when there's actually lipolytic pathways that are initiated and there's lipolysis or lipolysis, when there's a breakdown of fat, you end up actually seeing people get quite sick most often. And the reason of that sickness is it's like a Herxheimer's response. It's a healing crisis, but they're releasing so much garbage that's been held in that fat tissue, which a mm-hmm. lot of that's the persistent organic glutens, the chemicals, the insecticides, the pesticides, all those different things, the fluorinated hydrocarbons, the organophosphates, the benzene, the toluenes, all these, all these different things that are being released. So when we talk about these cancers related to fat, 
Well, of course, we know that if you have a larger vector of, uh, in this case, fat, then you would have a larger reservoir for those toxic substances that are directly related to these types of pathologies, i.e. cancer and other types of things. So anything that is going to be influenced by chemicals and metals and different things like that, metals don't mm -hmm. have a necessary propensity for fat, but there are certain metals that have a propensity for certain types of tissue. For example, cadmium has a propensity for lung parenchyma, um, lead for bone, mercury for the brain. And it's actually the fat, it's, because it's also around the pericardium, in fact, even the myocardium itself in the heart tissue. But the point right. is, again, fat holds on to certain types of toxicity. So we know that the number one cause of cancer, according to the Obama-era uh, National Cancer Report, was actually attributed to a 246-page report, was attributed to environmental toxins. Cancer was attributed, for the first time ever, attributed to, to environmental toxins. So regardless of whether you believe it or you don't believe it, we in the, in, in the arena that have been addressing cancer from a non-conventional source, from a non-conventional chemo-radiation type of intervention, we know that we have to get rid of the body, get rid of the toxicity in the body. And of course, fat holds on to a lot of toxicity. Yeah, and I want to differentiate that historically because, you know, there are some tribes around like the uh, Polynesian tribes in certain areas that really embrace like the king was the big ob the obese and fat one, but I want to differentiate because that's fat is technically stored energy, but it's different in this era when we're injected with toxic poisons and heavy metals that now it's a store also of toxic poisons that the body is unable to bind and excrete readily and it's a protective response. Much like sometimes people will be obese because of emotional toxins, emotional traumas, yeah. and they are padding the, their experience in life as well. So it's much more complex than those in the cancer field would say, well, we, they call it obesity as the cause. No, no, no. It's what's accompanying the obesity or the excess weight gain, for instance. In a world that... You're, go ahead. You're absolutely right. That's a very, very crucial point. All right. Well, let's come back and, and build, build on that before we have to talk about uh, William Douchebag Gates and his investment in uh, Big Vaccine, how he's really thrilled about it. We've got a lot more to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're also going to give you a lot more uh, insight in how you can access the Advanced Medicine Conference coming up Memorial Day weekend. And that'll be the uh, Saturday and Sunday Memorial Day weekend in Pasadena, Los Angeles, California, this 2019 year. We want you to be there, too. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Each and every week, we uh, we do some advanced medicine with Dr. Rashid Bittar, advancedmedicine.com. Uh, we're looking up askdrbittar.com as well for upcoming uh, webinars. We're going to get into that as, as well as the upcoming Advanced Medicine Conference in Pasadena Memorial Day weekend. But picking up where I kind of left off at the break there, I was just bringing up the histor historical perspectives on obesity and also what really fat is, a store of energy, versus what it's become now, a protective mechanism against emotional toxins and physical toxins. Yes, that's a very, very important criteria that should be discussed when you're talking about obesity and chronic disease, Robert. I think it's a, it's a very under-addressed topic. Well, you know, 
this is because people, you know, they get so sensitive about this. It's like, how dare you not shame fat people into losing weight? All right. I mean, listen, I get that. But you also brought up the point, Dr. Bittar, that if you relinquish all of that weight suddenly, which is largely held in the fat, even though muscle is heavier, they're, they're, they're not big muscular, they're holding a lot of fat. You are relinquishing a, lot, a toxic burden that their liver and kidneys and their lymph, their spleen, all of these things may not be able to handle, which is why any weight loss protocol, much less a, a protocol for healing, has to address the excretory system and support of it because you are going to relinquish things like we talk about in cancer. If you successfully intervene and the immune system starts kicking some cancer butt, there's some major stuff coming out called, and it ends up being labeled something like cachexia. And, and you know, it's why uh, Dr. Uh, 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 Nick Gonzalez and others have said coffee enemas. We got to get the toxins out fast, or whatever mechanism there is to support that pathway of elimination. You're absolutely right, Robert. And here's what's interesting: when a person starts the journey towards the path of health and wellness and regaining their autonomy, understanding that the power to heal is theirs, when they start that journey, one of the side effects is that you lose body fat. Your body becomes more efficient. And when it becomes more efficient, it doesn't need to carry that additional fat. As you had said earlier, when the body's carrying additional fat, it's usually because it's in a preservation mode or it's in a starvation mode, so it's holding on to additional nutrients because it's in a, it's in a mode of panic. And a lot of times when people are eating in modern days, it's because overeating is because either one, they're nutrient deficient, they're trying to get that nutrient so they keep on overeating, or two, there's an emotional component. And it's usually a combination of both because the food that they're eating are nutrient deficient, so that drives the body's desire to consume more. And then there's an emotional reason to, to satiate. They're trying to satiate an emotional issue, and they're trying to placate it with, with consuming food. And so that's what promotes obesity. It's a totally different scenario when you look back historically where people that were heavier and this is in all societies, not just in the Native American and the Polynesian, Robert, but if you look in the European and American societies, you know, around, around the 1800s, women that were considered beautiful were more rotund, right? That's what I think the term that they use, the rotund. The, rotund, the, yes. I can't, yeah. The, now now it's, rounder, it, they, she was so big, she sat around the rotunda. Okay, right, exactly. So there's a whole difference in perspective now, but mm-hmm. back then, if a person was heavier, or not heavier, I should say, but, but more obese, it was a sign of affluence that they could actually afford the luxury of more food, and, and they, you know, they had power. Today, we understand that that's not the most efficient way for a person to be, but it's not the same as it was 150 years ago compared to now, because now people are eating, overeating, for different reasons. One, because they're nutrient deficient, so they're trying to consume it. They don't know that the food that they're eating are devoid of those essential nutrients that they need. And then on top of that, of course, there's that emotional psychological component, the fifth toxicity that we're dealing with. So it's important to address these things. And if a person understands that when you start on the road to correct health, the, the right path of life, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not passing a judgment whether the person that's heavier or not is, is bad or good. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that when your body becomes efficient, when you start approaching zero point in quantum physics, which is maximum output, minimal expenditure, you will naturally shed fat. It's just a normal, natural thing. And the last point I want to make is, as you said, when a person, if you, if you have two people standing side by side and one is lean, muscular, and the other person is obese, the lean, muscular person, same height, same everything as body composition, the lean, muscular person is going to be 15%, 10, 15, maybe even up to 20% heavier. So when you say weight loss, it's actually a misnomer. 
because people that are lean with high muscle pound for pound or, or in a unit of measurement, muscle weighs more than fat. I've actually used to take pictures and I have pictures of women before and after. And I show people, patients, and I say, which way would you rather look? And they'll point to the woman that, you know, the version of her that's lean and muscular. And I say, she weighs 25 pounds more in that picture than she does, does in the other picture where she's actually fat. They have a hard time believing it. So when we talk about weight loss, we need to be correct. We need to talk about fat loss, not weight loss. Okay. So yeah. The accuracy here is another important part. Word fat as and toxins, words of course. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't actually appreciate what the words mean. So when we say weight loss, people think losing fat, but that's not necessarily the case. If you're talking about body fat loss and making the body more efficient. Right, right. And, of course, when we talk about intermittent fasting, that's also different than uh, starving, right? When we talk about we're training Absolutely. our body to, a, you know, relinquish stored energy at that point, and that's an efficiency, uh, you know, the kung fu of the metal- metabolism of every cell in your body. Uh, but, again, coming back to the story that started our discussion, it was about millennials and obesity and cancer, and I wanted to distinguish the type of obesity we're seeing in millennials. And, of course, in the 20th century, that was given rise as well prior to the millennials, but even more so because they've been vaccinated as if they were pincushions, and no other generation prior to that had been subjected to so many toxic injections. Robert, you know, this ties back to everything we're talking about, even though they're different stories, they all tie back together. So you just mentioned intermittent fasting, and I think I sent Super Don, an article about the uh, cereals, the breakfast concept being actually now science showing that breakfast actually is not something that's the most important meal of the day, and it's not a healthy thing to do. And that's, again, it's been promoted by the cereal company, so we consume more. So now we start looking at the intermittent fasting and look at back uh, from a historical perspective, the Paleolithic perspective. Man would eat when he had food, and when he didn't have food, he wouldn't eat. So we were actually designed to go, you know, 12 hours, 18 hours without eating, and then when we have food, then we eat. Because if you think about it, each time you eat, it also expends, it expends energy. So yep. the whole concept of, you know, five balanced meals or six balanced meals or whatever the case is, and, you know, you increase your energy output by having more frequent meals. Well, it, it may be true, but it also promotes overeating. And I have found that I feel so much better when I don't eat. In fact, my regular lifestyle in the last year plus has been intermittent fasting every day. I, ha- I don't even take a break from it because I just feel better doing it. So I go 16 hours routinely without eating on a daily basis, and mm-hmm. then maybe once a week I may go for a, for a 20-hour, 24-hour fast. Right. Of course, once a month, you know, in a year for 30 days we do the we do the Ramzan thing, which is makes or makes Ramzan right. easy because it's not, it's not an issue anymore. <laughs> when uh, when I was uh, with uh, our friend Dr. Marlene Siegel at her at her conference, she was you know doing a, a presentation clinicals on the, the animals that she's taking care of as a vet, and uh, you know she's got them on species appropriate diets. But uh, this concept of fasting in the animal kingdom, she says, you know, I've seen animals that you know normally they'll die at ten, eleven, or twelve, living to thirty years or longer, documented because you know they're not fed all the time. They're certainly not eating uh, factory farm kibble. They're eating species appropriate, and occasionally they're fasting. You're not feeding them all the time because in the wild, that's not how it works, and that precipitates a longer, healthier life. So mimicking that in our ancestry is something, again, that's a concept that is uh, difficult for some to conceive of, that how you know fasting and not eating could be beneficial, whether it be a telomere-length discussion or otherwise. The fact of the matter is, is you can gain control over your ability to intake and then not for a long time, you will find benefits uh, you know, across the spectrum, not just in temporary energy uh, boosting or benefit, but long term, if you plan to be here and be alive and healthy for a long time, it's going to be a more and more of a role going forward. 
And this is where caloric restriction comes in. And the studies that were done in the 70s and 80s that led to the advent of the use of growth hormone, they, of course, again, created a mistake by their observation. You know, the mentality of every time I see a fire, I see yes. fire engines, therefore I conclude that fire engines cause fires. But caloric restriction has been the only thing that's been scientifically proven to actually uh, increase lifespan. And with mm-hmm. the caloric restriction, they saw an increase of growth hormone and a decrease of uh, insulin-like growth factor, a decrease of insulin, and a decrease of, of uh, I- IGF-1. So mm-hmm. decrease in cortisol, decrease in insulin, decrease in IGF-1, with an increase in growth hormone, they, of course, zeroed in, okay, well, let's give people growth hormone. But they, they should have been looking at, wait a second, why not look at the things that you see actually happen with caloric restriction? And all those aspects, the decrease in IGF-1, decrease in insulin, decrease in, in cortisol, is those are all pro-inflammatory molecules. So when you start to eliminate the pro-inflammatory molecules and you reduce them, your body ha- is in a lower state of inflammation, and that's what promotes or is contributory yes. to actually uh, living a longer life. Well, and then and quite the opposite, you have the, the, the guy I called it a kind of not-so-nice name, and I was being nice by not calling what I really wanted to say, Bill Gates. And he says his best investment turned $10 billion into $200 billion worth of economic benefit. And, of course, his investment in, in these global health organizations that have nothing to do with health but everything to do with vaccination. And, of course, the products that he's invested in have been mandated by governments worldwide and gained the favor of the medically conflicted monopoly media as well. And so you got three uh, entities, media, government, and medicine, combining and providing this idea that we don't survive without injections. And we talk about cancer in millennials and obesity in millennials directly related to Bill Gates, you know, profiting off of the disease creation and the disease management industry, which is wrongly called healthcare. Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. And this is something that um, if you listen to some of his interviews, he's not even shy about it. They talk about population control, and it, it's somewhat disturbing when you start seeing how blatantly obvious um, and how uh, open the, the, the agenda is. It brings me back to thinking about the book by, I um, can't remember the name of the author, Andrew, uh, Andy Andrews, How mm-hmm. Do You Kill 11 Million People? And if you've read that, you start reading the book and you start thinking, oh my God, you know, this is, they're talking about World War II and what happened in Germany. And if you look closer, it's exactly what's happening today and has been happening for the last six years or so. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. How do you kill 11 million people? You do it openly. and that's Well, yeah, right in front of them and call it for their own good, call it for their own health and benefit to, to make them live longer, survive. On vaccines, Gates has the message for parents who fear the side effects of a reason not to get their kids their shots. They're not side effects, they're direct effects, Bill Gates. It's a, it is wild, he says, that just because you get misinformation thinking you're protecting your kid, you're actually putting your kid at risk as well as all others, other kids around them. Again, medical collectivism. It's evil. It's dangerous. And Bill Gates is a dangerous man. He should not be praised. Uh, you know, basically, if, if there were liability to the vaccines he promotes, he would be in prison. Folks, we got one more segment to go. Is uh, fastest uh, two hours of healing on radio six days a week, and the fastest hour here with Doctor Rashid Bittar. It's called Advanced Medicine. You can go to advancedmedicine.com. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll take you to how to sign up to be part of the Advanced Medicine Conference. We're going to talk about that after this break. Stick with us. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. I remember archives available all over the place on uh, GCN or Home and Broadcast Radio Syndication, GCNlive.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, UK Health Radio, uh, and YouTube, and uh Brighteon, we have segments up there at Brighteon, Mike Adams' site, as well as uh, at advancedmedicine.com, where uh, there are searchable um, archives, you know, for the appearances with Dr. Batar here, which is great. And how about more experiences, Dr. Batar? How about an upcoming webinar? And Superdon just added that into the list. It's over at askdrbatar.com, a registration for the February 28th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Autism Defined Facts on Autism Launch, and you'll want to sign up to be part of it. And there's a link directly to register for it. Do they need, like, the the access code that we have here for advanced medicine or not? No, this is going to be an open webinar. Uh, so we, when, we do the IA, when we do the private webinars, that's only the IADFW, and that's the only place they can get the registration. So we will be doing a follow-up with that too, Robert. So this is an open forum webinar that anybody can come to. But the IADFW webinar that we do, that those are the only ones that people can access if they're a member. Which, by the way, I just want to let you know and let the, let the listeners know, if you are an IADFW member, the International Association for Disease-Free World, we have 10 videos that have, if they're not launched already, if they haven't been loaded up there, they are ready to go. They should be launched actually there tomorrow. But that's only for the IADFW members. So these are things that you're not going to hear anywhere else. They're only for people that have actually joined the membership. And so some of those videos, Robert, you and I are together because it's stuff that we discussed um, in, in private, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like doing the breaks and such when we didn't, when we didn't um, air it. But anyway, it's, it's part and parcel of topics that we started on the radio, and then after we finish the live broadcast, and we can come back afterwards, we do the IEDFW segment. And so those components that sometimes we, hes- we hesitate to talk about it in a public forum, those are where those videos are going to be posted. So I'm pretty excited about that. Excellent. You know, I've been promising for a while. We've got 10 of them already done. And we also have the links in the show notes at, our, at robertscottbell.com. Scroll down. You'll see pictures of everybody that's going to be uh, presenting at the Advanced Medicine Conference, Saturday, May 25th, Sunday, May 26th, Pasadena Convention Center, advancedmedicineconference.com. We have links, $50 discounts for advanced uh, registration. Uh, enter the code FRIENDS. We have that here listed. Uh, there are other discount codes for VIP tickets as well. And you'll see, I'll be there, Dr. Batar, Dr. Bruce Lipton, Del Bigtree, Dr. Robert Bernhoft. Uh, you'll hear from Ty Bollinger, Dr. Patrick Quillen, and Nia Peoples. And who knows, things could be changing between now and then, but a uh, very exciting uh, event coming up in Southern California. And God willing, it's going to be the first of many. And I believe that the uh, actual venue that we're going to be in talking about the topic, the theme, which is, evolution of man in medicine is something that is time appropriate right now. It's very important for us to recognize where we were, where we're going, you know, how we're evolving, and understanding and embracing the change that we're undergoing right now as a society. Beautiful. Evolution of man and medicine. Very good. Uh, last uh, topic, just briefly, uh, it's about kids overdosing on toothpaste. And uh, it's interesting that they do mention fluorosis, but they really don't get into the, the, the danger of fluoride and the inappropriateness of ingesting fluoride. Uh, and that's, of course, associated with heavy metal uptake as well. But at least they mentioned fluorosis. I mean, if I'm going to give them a little bit of credit, that's related to fluoride. 
Well, that's why I sent the study to Superdon to consider it to be included in our topics of discussion because I found it amusing that they actually talked about fluoride, but not because of the real issue with fluoride, mm-hmm. but talked about a minor issue, you know. The fact that you, they're addressing it, that's a good thing. So hopefully people may stop just because of the fluorosis aspect, but at least that's going to indirectly cause a decrease in fluoride consumption just based right. upon what their minor concern is. It, 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 was, it was absurd. It could be a, actually a moment of doubt, but then I guess because <laughs> a lot of people don't understand that. You know, you know I'm surprised that, like, because this was published in the New York Times, that they're not being, you know, slandered with the term, like, anti-toothpasters or something like that. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. We should actually talk about fluoride sometime. We, it's been a while since we've talked about fluoride. Yeah, we, we could do that. Love to reach out to Dr. Paul Conard again. We had him on over the years, uh, many years ago now. Um, but uh, what an amazing guy. But, yeah, this is a, a profound discussion. Uh, even though it's just about toothpaste, we're out of time to really go further into it. But, you know, hey, read it. And please, if you're using toothpaste of any kind, be sure there's not a lot of nasty like sodium lauryl sulfate, these foaming agents. But fluoride's the biggest toxin that's typically in uh, conventional toothpaste. So look out for that. All right, Dr. Batar, that's another successful Advanced Medicine Monday. We did it on time this week. <laughs> Y'all, look out yeah. for the archives and share them with your friends. Tell them what they need to know, no, Dr. Batar. we got to go. The power to heal is unequivocally each and every one of yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show.